Welcome to BioIT World's Trends from the Trenches podcast, your insider's look at the science, technology, and executive trends driving the life sciences. I'm Allison Prophet, editor of BioIT World. This episode is hosted by Stan Gloss, founder of BioTeam, a life sciences IT consulting company at the intersection of science, data, and technology. Joining Stan today is Tom Miller, co-founder and CEO of Iambic Therapeutics. Together, they discuss Miller's journey from academia at Caltech to CEO of his own startup and what inspired him to turn his research into an entrepreneurial venture. Let's listen in. Well, good afternoon, Tom. It's um, I'm so honored to have you here um, telling a little bit about a story of your company. And uh, boy, we haven't had enough startup stories yet. So I'm really excited to really get into how the journey that you've had from your academic work all the way into B-Round funding as a startup. So perhaps uh, we can start by getting a little bit about your background and then take us through part of the journey of your research and maybe even talk about the moment that you said, gee, this could be commercial. Because I'm sure a lot of scientists listen to this and want to hear those same questions. Absolutely, Stan. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join this podcast and um, and and to to tell you about iambic and um, and and I'm happy to to to, to kick it off with uh, some description of uh, my background. Um, I am Tom Miller. I am uh, one of the co-founders and the CEO uh, of iambic. And uh, I arrived at uh, this role um, after a, a career in, in academics. Um, I started at the interface of chemistry and mathematics in terms of my training. I uh, was a professor at Caltech uh, starting in, in, in 2008 and um, really had the chance to build a, a research program there with uh, many exciting um, uh, research directions that focused on uh, developing computational and AI or data-driven algorithms to um, better solve a range of, of chemistry and biological challenges with, with many different um, uh, research focuses uh, along the way. And, um, and what we really increasingly saw um, during my time at Caltech was the way in which these tools were not only exciting scientific innovations in and of themselves, but they had an increasingly um, translational capability. And, um, you know, to, to come back to your question about um, what was the moment or, or what was it that really uh, uh, triggered um, the uh, curiosity to uh, to turn this into um, a startup or in terms of uh, an entrepreneurial venture? Um, I think it was, first of all, that hunger to see the translation of the science from the discovery stage to genuine human impact, um, as well as the recognition that um, these tools really did uh, appear to have the um, ability to make a difference in the way that we were searching chemical space and the way that we were identifying uh, molecules with promising properties. And um, and I think that that uh, connection between uh, that desire and that opportunity um, was was a fertile ground for for, for launching a startup. So what I didn't hear in your background is an MBA from a major school or previous startup experience. And I hear the story of, of an amazing academic researcher who went from the bench 
to the uh, C-suite and uh, in a direct path almost. Is that true? I think in a nutshell, that that pretty much is true. Um, I, you know, have my fair share of degrees, but they are all on the the scientific side. I, you know, I did my PhD at Oxford and I did a postdoc at Berkeley. Uh, I did uh, undergraduate at Texas A&M. And those are all focused on chemistry or mathematics or the, the conjunction of the two. Um, uh, I did not have prior uh um, you know, executive experience. I had not founded uh, multiple previous companies. Um, I so that this was a, a new adventure um, for me as as an individual. And uh, I must say that Caltech as an institution was very supportive of giving me the space and opportunity to explore that. Um, I had long been a tenured professor at Caltech, and I hadn't taken a sabbatical yet. So they um, were very kind to give me two years of sabbatical so wow. that I could, um, uh, you know, launch the company um, along with my co-founder, Fred Manby, um, to see whether or not the ideas had legs, to see whether or not my interest in an operational role within the company um, was of interest to me and was effective and good for the company, and to really kind of test drive it before making that uh, that that commitment that um, I eventually did. Right. So at the center of really understanding a company, for me, is understanding the why. Why did you why did you do this? And the big picture of why it matters to researchers and your the people who you plan to is the people who you're going to solve a problem for. So what was that problem and why did you what's the why? Your company why? Yeah. Um I mean the why is why can't we deliver um molecules to patients with urgent uh, medical need um, faster and more successfully. Uh, that's the why. And um, there are many things that make that an extremely challenging process. And one of them is um, the challenge of um, being able to identify um, chemical matter new uh, uh, molecular therapeutics that um, can have the array of necessary properties and that can um, have the um, uh, uh, quality as development candidates um, uh, to, to address those needs. And that involves an extremely vast search of chemical space and an, an extremely vast search of um, biological target profiles. And AI in combination with high throughput experimentation offers an extremely powerful way to try to navigate that bottleneck in um, delivering better molecules to patients faster. Wow. That that story reminds me of the story uh, that Chris Gibson from Recursion Pharmaceutical, when he was on my, my podcast before, talking about this building up of his phenomics platform and doing millions of biological experiments to perturb cells to see what happens and then grab imaging and building a huge um, training data set that now you can look for signals in that. So you did a great job of explaining the why of your company. So the next question easily follows, how are you doing it? And yeah, it, that's exactly right. And of course, recursion is an inspiring and relevant, uh, you know, marker on the landscape for for how to contextual to contextualize a company uh, like iambic. Um, I think 
the how comes down to um, uh, three aspects of, of differentiation for us as a company. Um, and um, one of those is um, the key AI algorithms that we develop and that drive our design process. Um, the other aspect of how we do it is um, to tightly integrate those AI designs with high throughput experimentation, automated chemistry, and biology that allows us to go from new molecular designs to new data on the scale of thousands of molecules every week. So new closed loop cycles um, on the one to two week uh, time scale so that we can ask and answer questions quickly. We can drive iterations through chemical space. We can optimize target product profiles and we can arrive ultimately at better development candidates. And that third key aspect of differentiation is showing that it really matters, that it's showing that we can compress the timescales from program launch to IND submission and to do that repeatedly across challenging targets across different mechanisms of action and across different uh, protein target classes. And we see that with our lead programs. Um, our first program went from program launch to IND submission in 24 months. Um, and uh, that's you know, faster than, than the industry average, which is closer to five or six years. Um, and, um, uh, and we're seeing that that's a repeated process with our second and third programs on the heels of that first program um, and uh, following at the same pace. That's great. That really covers my, you know, how. So now I want to take, I want to take you down the what, what, what's the result? What do you, you know, can you give us specific, uh, you don't, please don't share any uh, confidential information, but specific, can you give us a little specific about the outcomes, Spe uh, you know, Absolutely. if you have known? So tell me a little of that story. Yeah. So let me uh, break that up into kind of two aspects of the specifics. Um, I can talk about specifics around the, um, the AI technologies, and I can also talk about specifics around the actual drugs that have uh, been produced on the basis of this platform. Yeah, so and, that'd be um, great. Do that. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do it in that order. Um, you know, in terms of um, our AI technologies, I, I think that the um, the mention of of recursion is is a relevant one because there are companies that will um, you know generate uh, vast amounts of data and that will use that data driven approach to um, identify um, you know, better target profiles or to try to identify uh, uh, better, better molecules for development candidates. Actually, there's also... Yeah, actually, I want to just quickly jump in on that one. If, if, my, if you could do a Google search on the SEC uh, S1 filing for recursion pharmaceutical and just read the business section of their S1 submission, uh, it it's a beautiful story of exactly Tom what you're describing, and they're they're streamlining the discovery process by actually instead of having a discovery funnel which has been traditional over drug development for many many years, they're approaching it as a T-shaped approach, which is they have lots of data up here, and they look for signals in their data, and then they come straight down into what they're in drilling down directly into their signal and trying to better understand it. So uh, yeah. I and I, it's when you were describing it to me, it sounded very similar, like I heard that story before. 
Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons it's really important to, to make that distinction. I'm, I'm basically setting up a dichotomy. Um, there are companies like Recursion that are data-driven. There are companies like Accenture that you have also interviewed that are um, also very data-driven. They basically will gather data, they'll build AI algorithms on the base of that large amount of data, and they'll um, use that as a way to design profiles for molecules. Um, on the other side of the coin, there are companies that you'll also be very familiar with, like like Schrodinger and like Relay. Those are also computationally driven companies, but they are not data driven. What they are is physics driven. They will use molecular simulations. They'll use um, detailed uh, modeling of the of the atoms and the molecules um, computationally to um, try to design molecular profiles. And this is the distinction that I want to make. Those are not disjoint, they should not be disjoint strategies, even though that is often the uh, way in which they are they are implemented at present. It's not using physics modeling or using a purely abstracted data approach that is really the optimal strategy. What Iambic has done from the very earliest days is recognizing that you can get the best of those two worlds by using physics modeling or physics insights to construct more data efficient AI algorithms. It's not just a matter of relying on big data and hoping you have enough coverage of, of, that, of that chemical space for that data to be useful to you. And it's not just a matter of not using data at all uh, um, and, and to simply um, use a, a pure physics modeling approach. By combining physics and data, we can get vastly improved accuracy in the prediction models with um, uh, uh, more, more efficiency in terms of the number of data points that are needed. And that really matters. That matters because of the fact that we can more effectively drive more deeply into chemical space. Chemical space is extraordinarily vast. You will never have coverage of that with any existing data set. So unless you can see more deeply into that design space with AI algorithms, you are never going to be able to um, uh, to, to to fully search um, to the extent that will lead to the best possible molecules. So we really take that approach, the best of both worlds, by unifying data um, and and physics um, in, a, in a singular approach at IAMPEC. Yeah. So when I think of um, going back to keep, I'm sorry, we keep going back to recursion, but they've kind of flipped the hypothesis-driven research model. So data-driven companies initially with traditional scientific method research, we have we formulate a hypothesis and then we de develop data to accept it or reject our hypotheses. In a lot of companies that are data-driven, they're building up a large amount of data first, then they're finding these signals. And from the signals, they get their hypotheses. It's kind of, it's a little bit flipped from the traditional hypothesis-driven research. How does that model apply to your company? Um, we absolutely can uh, uh, pursue hypothesis-driven research, and we can absolutely incorporate maximum flexibility in that search um, based on new signals that emerge. And, and I, I should take a, a concrete example here. Um, you know, our two lead programs and, and um, uh, our uh, uh, small molecule TKIs, um, uh, the first is a highly brain penetrant and highly selective HER2 inhibitor. And the second is a highly selective CDK2, CDK4 inhibitor. 
those uh, ultimate target product profiles that we arrived at were not the ones that uh, were anticipated with when we when we started that program. Um, we uh, you know had conviction around those targets, but um, the actual um, uh, final molecular profile that you know optimized therapeutic window um, in vivo um, was not um, uh, uh, clearly known at the start of the project. It was only by being able through rapid design make test cycles to be able to make the compounds that tested different biological hypotheses that we were able to refine that target product profile and ultimately to converge at um, what are um, extremely exciting and, and, and differentiated uh, molecules and, and target product profiles. So I think that that incorporates both the hypothesis side of the question as well as that responsiveness to new signals through the ability to execute very fast design make test cycles um, and to ex uh, efficiently peer deeply into to chemical space um, with the use of a, our AI tools. That's a that's so perfect. Thank you. That so you you have the best of both worlds. We you know there's many wonderful companies out there, and we but that is really our strategy to try to incorporate uh, the best of those both worlds and to build um, a platform and approach uh, that really um, can do that. And I think that what really matters at the end of the day, of course, is not the philosophy of the strategy or the philosophy of the um, uh, of the platform. What really matters at the end of the day is the resulting chemical uh, uh, the development candidates that we're able to deliver to clinic. And um, it's it's worth noting that our um, our brain penetrant HER2 program. Um, with activity not only on wild type, but also across all the disease-driving mutations of HER2, um, was executed from program launch to IND submission at a pace of 24 months. Um, and, you know, our uh, CDK24 program is operating at the same pace as are our additional programs across different protein classes. So having highly differentiated molecules and being able to repeatedly execute on that at, at an exciting pace and arriving at those quality development candidates, I think is really the most important validation for us as a company at the end of the day. So with all of that activity, uh, I want to return back to your startup journey. You've uh, Tell us a little bit about the transition from angel round investment and you're now into your B round investment. And what's that been like? Oh, it's been exciting. I, I um, you know, it's not my uh, original analogy, but I do like it. This notion that um, as a company goes from uh, a, a seed round to a series A to a series B, um, it, it feels a lot like going through different kind of grades in school or kind of different kind of levels of um, advancement in terms of, you know, going from middle school to high school to, to, to college. And um, in the sense that you know that these are big steps and these are exciting steps, but you also know that they are the first steps in ultimately what is a long journey <laughs> of education and, and, and maturation uh, as, as a company. So I, I really enjoyed that process. Um, Maybe more specifically, um, our uh, seed round was co-led. Uh, uh, sorry, it was led by um, by Nexus Ventures in the Bay Area. They had a strong connection um, with uh, with Caltech, 
and um, and also joined by uh, another VC uh, 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 Freeflow, uh, um, and they really supported our vision before we had identified um, even drug discovery as the key focus area for the technology. Um, at that point, um, we had um, a very general platform for designing molecules using physics-informed AI. We saw many potential ways to kind of point um, that um, uh, that that flashlight in terms of opportunity space, and we um, uh, initially focused on you know deploying actually the the software itself as um, uh, uh, to 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 different partners as as the product. Within so, that first year, oh, so, go ahead. Oh yeah, I'll just, yeah. Just within that first year, what we were able to do is to recognize that not only does this appear to work, but it has a particular sweet spot in the space of drug discovery. So that triggered the logic for our Series A, uh, which was co-led by Catalio and Co2, and joined by Orbimed and Sequoia, and uh, allowed us to really. Um, uh, convert uh, that software basis into a closed-loop drug discovery-focused um, uh, company that would deliver um, uh, our own uh, fully discovered molecule pipeline. So back to the connection with recursion. Um, I, as I was visiting there and I noticed they had made significant investments in their um, phenomics platform by purchasing a large amount of NVIDIA product. And I understand that there's an NVIDIA connection again with your company. Maybe you can kind of share a little bit about what you're doing with NVIDIA. Oh, happy to. Yeah, NVIDIA has been a great partner and, uh, you know, to us as a company and also I would say to, to healthcare um, and drug discovery as a field. Um, we have strong uh, and uh, 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 long-term ties, actually, with NVIDIA. Um, you know, one of my uh, original ac academic collaborators is uh, Anima Anand Kumar, who um, is uh, both a director at NVIDIA as well as on the Caltech faculty. And we've, you know, we're, we're working uh, together, you know, for many years. And, um, you know, with NVIDIA scientists over um, uh, the past um, I guess four years now. We've published numerous papers together, um, so it's been a very you know tight actual um, intellectual um, collaboration um, that we've uh, benefited from and um, uh, uh, as a company over over that time. You're absolutely right that Nvidia has uh, joined our Series B as um, significant investors. And um, the Series B announcement was accompanied by a, uh, a major collaboration between um, Iambic and NVIDIA for, uh, for the upcoming years, really extending and building upon what we've, what we've already done together in, in terms of that collaboration foundation. And, um, you know, that brings um, the um, opportunity to benefit from the engineering experience and expertise of the NVIDIA team. It brings um, uh, the uh, uh, access to um, the, the necessary uh, GPU compute that uh, is essential for uh, developing next generation large language models and really deploying those um, at scale. And uh, it really puts us in a strong position for continuing to differentiate uh, both on the algorithmic development and on the um, uh, computational deployment of these um, uh, of these uh, AI models uh, at a time where that's um, a, a key uh, strategic consideration. That's fantastic. Um, my final question to you is your advice for, for academic researchers to kind of follow in your tracks and what, what kind of advice can you give them 
about taking their discoveries and bringing them to market. Any insights on that? I do um, have. Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to share to share my my experience, um, and and I do have a couple of of you know thoughts that are that are triggered triggered by that question. Um, I think that you know speaking to the academics out there, um, I would say that parts of uh, you know creating a startup will feel very familiar to you. Um, uh, the part of uh, uh, starting something from scratch, the part of having to recruit and, and align a team uh, around a vision, uh, the, the part about having to um, you know make sure that you uh, set priorities correctly and that you um, uh, um, are able to uh, really uh, you know secure the funding to to, to continue on that vision that, that's actually surprisingly aligned with the day-to-day of a um, uh, of a of a you know a university uh, professor um, at a major research uh, a major major research institution. I think that I would also say that um, yeah, the thing that's very different, of course, is that um, uh, this is all without tenure. <laughs> so it feels like the pre-tenure days. Um, and that's some people really like that. And actually, I really like that. Um, this idea that every month matters, every year matters. Uh, you can't think in terms of, um, you know, just lackadaisical timescales. Um, there's an urgency and there is a... Um, a progress that can be achieved uh, at a very fast pace with that urgency, and I've absolutely loved that part of uh, uh, of creating a startup and, and and being part of this amazing team. Well, listen, Tom, thank you so much. This was really fantastic, and the story is great. The all the connections that you've shared and and the and the amazing results that you've gotten, and I hope my audience really can really learn quite a bit from you today. So thanks again, and we'll talk soon. I've absolutely enjoyed it, Stan. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to BioIT World's Trends from the Trenches podcast.